St. Louis Post-Dispatch columnist Tony Messenger is a Pulitzer Prize winner for commentary for his series of columns on debtors' prisons in Missouri. You may have heard him talk about that right here on the Big 550 on McGraw's show over the years. Well, Tony is joining us on the phone to talk about his book, Profit and Punishment, How America Criminalizes the Poor in the Name of Justice. And you can see Tony Thursday, February 9th, 7 p.m., the Mirowitz Performing Arts Center at the JCC of St. Louis. That is part of St. Louis County's author events. Tony, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jennifer. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, 80% of the cases I learned from your book that make their way through the court systems are misdemeanors. And these are the types of cases you have spent years following? Yeah, and and what unfortunately happens for so many folks uh, is that after you plead guilty to a misdemeanor, you end up getting a bill for all sorts of uh, fines and fees, many of which have nothing to do with uh, your offense, their their fees that legislatures have put on the court system as sort of a backdoor tax. And what happens to a lot of poor people is they can't afford to pay that bill after they've already you know made their way through the court system, and they end up being uh, put back in jail often primarily because they're poor, because they can't afford to pay this bill that has nothing to do with trying to discourage them from stealing an $8 tube of mascara from Walmart again or you know whatever the, uh, the offense may be. And this is really a massive problem in our criminal justice system. These are called board bills or pay-to-stay bills. Do we have these in the city of St. Louis, in the city of Kansas City, or is it just the rural areas? So the the biggest part of the bill that a lot of people get in rural Missouri is is what you just mentioned the board bill and that is a charge for for a time for staying in jail. Uh you're there 30 days it can be several hundred dollars or so. And most almost every rural county in the state charges that the city of St. Louis doesn't most of the municipalities in the uh in the metro areas in St. Louis and Kansas City don't but most of the rural areas do and every state in the country has a similar law that allows cities or counties or the state prison system to charge people for their time in jail and it's really just a tax on poor people um because most of those facilities uh, as 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 your listeners know, we're already paying a variety of taxes into our cities and counties to pay for jails, to pay for law enforcement. This is just an additional bill charged on on poor people. And the problem that was happening in Missouri, but luckily is not anymore, thanks to the Missouri Supreme Court in 2019 and the Missouri legislature in 2019, is people who couldn't afford to pay those bills were being put back in jail. Uh, if they if they fell behind on their payments, the the Supreme Court ruled that's illegal. You can't do that anymore. So there's been a, a slight uh, move toward justice in in Missouri, but people are still being charged those bills for staying in uh, for their time in jail. Tony, as you know, we have a text line, and it's funny what one texter just wrote because you mentioned this in your book. The texter says, "I wonder if Otis got a bill every night that he had to spend in jail in Mayberry." And you do make mention of that because that's what a lot of us, we, we have this idea about it that looks so friendly. It isn't. 
I do. And, you know, one of the th- interesting things about Missouri law when I was writing the book, and by the way, the paperback comes out tomorrow. I'm very excited about about this. My, uh, you know, my book came out a couple of years ago, but the paperback comes out tomorrow. So it'll be available in local bookstores. But um, I, I write a section in which I talk about the changes in Missouri law over the years. So back in the early 1900s, Missouri law looked a lot like that, that, that Otis experience for those of us that watched the old Andy Griffith show, Mayberry RFD, where Otis would, would go on a bender and would get drunk and would sometimes even put himself in jail. Sometimes Barney Fife, would, the deputy, would bring him into jail, and sometimes he'd put himself in jail, and Aunt B would bring him uh, a meal uh-huh. and a pillow and a blanket and all of that. Well, Missouri's law used to look like that. Missouri state law, as it relates to local jails, used to allow people to bring in their own food and their own blankets and pillows and bedding and that sort of thing. And, and the reason for that was the law recognized that, that the people who end up in, in the city jail or the county jail are not supposed to be there forever. You know, most people who end up in jail, they did something stupid. They're getting punished for a few days, and then they're going to go back home. And and we want people to feel comfortable and be put back in the community. And there was this recognition that, you know, the jails are supported by taxpayers. And so, hey, you know what? Let's save a little bit of money. Let them, let them bring in a pillow and some and some food. And and all of that, and 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 it can make them more comfortable and save the taxpayers money. And it was a the, you could read the law and say, wow, this was a much more humane law. Well, the law no longer has any of those things. Instead, it has we're going to charge you fifty bucks a day, or seventy five bucks a day, or thirty five bucks a day, and then after you plead guilty or are convicted, we're going to try to collect that money from you. And it's really awful. What was happening in Missouri and still is to some degree is people would get out of jail. They'd, they'd serve their time, 30 days, 60 days, whatever it was. They'd get out of jail. They'd get this bill. And then the judge was scheduling them to come back to court once a month and, and, and answer for, hey, you owe this $700 bill or this $5,000 bill. And uh, so you're going to come to court once a month and make a payment or tell me why you can't. And, and what happens is these are, you know, these are single moms. These are people working in minimum wage jobs. If they can even find a job in rural Missouri, they don't have mass transportation. Their car breaks down. They miss a court date. Now the judge issues a warrant for their arrest and they're getting jailed. And if you ask the jail, you ask the judge, he's not putting them back in jail for uh, debtor's prison, he's putting them back in jail because they missed a court date. Well, the only reason that court date existed was to collect a tax. We've turned our local judges in rural Missouri into tax collectors. And, you know, this, the, the sad reality, and this is why I wrote the book, is that this is not just a rural Missouri problem. This is a problem all over the country. I know you have had many comments like this new one that came in on our text line, and I am positive that this person has not read your book. But here is the comment. Is this guy for real? I think crime should be punished. That's the whole point. You know, I, and, and yes, I received comments like that. And, and I used to get a bunch of them when I started writing these columns back in 2017, 2018, 2019. And then as people read them more and more, they realized, wait a minute. 
the, the old saying, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. Well, the people that I'm writing about in this book are people who have paid their debt to society. Uh, one of the main characters in the book is a woman from Dent County, Missouri, named Brooke Bergen. She stole an $8 tube of mascara. She ended up doing a year in the county jail for uh, stealing that $8 tube of mascara because of all the ways in which we criminalize poverty in America. Now, most people I know don't think that a year in jail for an $8 tube of mascara is reasonable, but she did that time. And then what happened was she got out of jail, and they gave her a $15,000 bill and said, you are now tethered to this court for the rest of your life because we know you can't pay that $15 bill, that $15,000 bill. So you're going to keep coming to court, and, and eventually you're going to miss a court date or you're going to fail a drug test, and we're going to put you back in jail again. And that's what happened to Brooke, and that's what happens to people all over America. It's simply not just. We're not talking about taking away punishment for crime. We're talking about the punishment fitting the crime and not using the courts as a backdoor tax system. And one of the reasons that this movement to end justice fees, to reduce the, the amount of, of fees that the legislature is putting on the court system, one of the reasons that there's a big movement to change this is conservatives in the system are recognizing we don't want to use our tax system like this. We don't want to use our criminal justice system like this because we're punishing people for being poor rather than actually worrying about public safety and using our police and our courts and our entire law enforcement system to focus on serious violent crimes rather than trying to collect a few shekels out of poor people who committed minor crimes. These are folks who served their time, who paid their debt to society and then, because the legislature has used the courts as a backdoor tax system, end up back in jail simply because they're poor and they can't afford to pay their taxes that have nothing to do with the crime that they committed. Tony, you also write that in Missouri, at the time you wrote the book, misdemeanor probation was supervised by private companies with a profit motive. Can you explain that to us? Yeah, that is still the case, unfortunately, in Missouri and in a lot of states. So, Back in the Great Recession around 2008 or so, the state of Missouri, it used to be that um, that all of the people in probation and, and parole in the state of Missouri for misdemeanors and felonies were state employees. And they were the folks who, when you, when you got out on bail, uh, similar to if you get out on a conviction and you've got a probation officer, you had this this person at the state that you would keep in touch with that would call you, you know, help make sure you show up in court and all of that. Well, the state of Missouri got rid of that at the state level, and all of these entrepreneurs came up and said, hey, wait a minute. We, we still want to supervise these folks. Let's start private for-profit businesses. So throughout Missouri now, if you are on pretrial release uh, or if you are on probation after a conviction, you are supervised by a for-profit company. And that company is making money off of the ankle bracelet that you wear that you might have to spend $300 a month on. That company is drug testing you even if you weren't convicted of a drug offense. This is what happens to a lot of folks. You get a, a misdemeanor assault case or a misdemeanor shoplifting case. 
but the contract for the for-profit probation company is that they get to charge you 30 bucks a month for drug testing. And so you drug test. Well, you're a rural Missouri kid who smokes pot or has had a meth problem or whatever, and you, you pee dirty, you, you fail a drug test, or you fail to respond to the phone call calling you in for the random drug test. Now they're going to the judge and saying, judge, you got to violate this person, put him back in jail. Well, what does that do? That increases the amount of time of probation, and they actually end up making more money for the, for the for-profit uh, company that has a profit motive. In the state of Missouri, it is easier to walk down your time on probation if you are convicted of a serious felony than it is a misdemeanor. Think about this. Your texter who wants to be tough on crime. In the state of Missouri, if you convict if you're convicted of a felony, let's say let's say a murder charge or or, or a gun charge, you're still supervised by, by state probation. And the state has a law that says for one year of good time on probation, your overall probation is reduced by a year. So if you have four years of probation when you get out of prison and you're good for the first two years, then you're done with probation if you committed a felony. That's the way the legislature has set up the law. It's an incentive for you to do the right things and to save taxpayers money and not be on supervised probation forever. That's not the case if you're convicted of a misdemeanor in Missouri. In Missouri, if you get four-year probation for a misdemeanor, it's four-year probation. There's no walking it down. And you're supervised that entire time by a for-profit company that is charging you for their services and looking for ways to get you back in jail so that they can extend the probation and they get more money. It is unbelievably insane, and it has nothing to do with improving public safety. You mentioned when you were traveling to these rural communities as a reporter and sitting in courtrooms that once you were asked to leave a courtroom, can you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, it was actually in Dent County, and I went there to, to see uh, uh, a, a hearing one day that Brooke Bergen was involved in, and, and it was one of these hearings where the judge basically is just collecting money. And the courtroom is packed. There's 30, 40 people. There's people waiting outside the building to get in, fairly small courtroom. And I'm walking in, and the judge or the the bailiff has this list of all the people who have a court date today. And literally, these are all people almost entirely. There was maybe one or two arraignments. The rest of the people were all there uh, on, on review hearings to basically pay money on old cases. It was, it was a tax collection day, basically. And I, I go up to the bailiff and, and, you know, put my uh, pen and notebook in the, the little basket and start to walk through the, uh, um, the metal detector. And the bailiff says, you're not on my list. I'm like, no, no, I'm a reporter. I'm just here to observe court today. And he said, well, boy, I, I just don't know if you can do that. <laughs> and I said, yes, yes, I can. I said, I don't even have to be a reporter. Any citizen can walk in on any day and observe open court unless it happens to be a juvenile hearing or another hearing that by statute is closed. This is an open court hearing, and I'm coming in to walk. I I need to go check with the judge. And he went back, and he checked with the judge, whose name was Brandy Baird. She's not a judge anymore. The voters sent her away. And, And he comes back, and he says, 
the judge said you didn't follow the regulations. Now, what he was talking about is there's a there's a media rule in Missouri where if you want to use the cameras in the courtroom, you have to ask the local media coordinator for permission. And some judges will let you uh, bring a camera in the courtroom and some some judges won't. Uh, You know, people in St. Louis are used to that. There are some big high profile cases that end up on court TV. There's others that end up with a camera. Well, that's the only rule that exists in Missouri court to get permission. I, I left my phone in the car because I knew how these rural courts were. And I said, look, I just got a notebook and a pen. I'm not violating any regulation. Let me in your courtroom or I'm going to call our attorney and we'll file a writ with the court to, to force me in. And he goes back to the judge again. And then he comes back and he says, OK, she says you can sit over there. And, and I sit in court that day and it is like so many courts throughout the country. And and we saw this in St. Louis quite a bit after uh, Michael Brown died in 2014, when there was a lot of focus on the municipal courts in North St. Louis County. It's a very similar sort of scheme. A lot of those municipal courts were using the courts to raise money for the cities that had low tax bases. And this is really a a built-in function of the criminal justice system throughout America, whether you're in a rural county in, in Missouri or, or a small municipality in North St. Louis County or a lot of major cities and states all over the country. And the, there's a reason the judge didn't want me there that day because the whole thing, the whole day was about collecting money from poor people and threatening them with jail if they didn't have enough cash. And it was just astounding to see. It was, it was, it was one of the most eye-opening days I've ever had in, in a courtroom. Well, the other thing you point out in your book is that poverty is relative. And Tony Messenger, Pulitzer Prize winning columnist, tells the story of a young man who had a job in central Missouri. He drove to Colorado to pick up his kids. They joked about the community rag, which is what they used as a napkin when they were having pizza because there was no money for paper towels. And this divorced dad or divorcing dad heard a beep beep and he realized that his car was being repossessed. Can you tell yeah. our viewers, our listeners, a little bit more about that? Yeah, that was me. And, uh, you know, early in my life, uh, I, I was relatively poor. And that's why I always talk about poverty in, 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 a, in a relative sense. I've always had a job. I've always had uh, income. I haven't always made the best decisions, you know, had health care problems, went through a divorce earlier in my life, all of those sorts of things. But when when you are poor – and you end up having an interaction with the court system, um, the court system should be worried about um, improving public safety in the community, not punishing you because you're poor. And I think the fact that I went through some of these things is one of the reasons that just helped me recognize the humanity in the people that I wrote about. One of the things that I write about in the book is that many states, including Missouri, still have a system by which they will suspend your driver's license if you fall behind on court debt. Now, states all over the country are changing this because it just makes no sense. Illinois was one of the most recent ones to change their law. Think about this. You're poor, you owe court debt, and the the Department of Revenue takes away your driver's license, which makes it hard for you to drive to your job to get money 
to pay your court debt. Right. So the criminal justice system working in conjunction with the Department of Revenue actually makes it harder for you to make your court debt, and they punish your poverty. And then on top of that, what's going to happen? Well, when you're poor and you either don't have a driver's license or can't afford insurance or whatever, you're still going to drive to get your job because you're trying to take care of your kids. You're still going to drive to the grocery store. You're still going to drive to your job. You're going to do everything you can to take care of your family. And now you're a criminal because now you're driving without a, a, a driver's license and you get picked up. You get uh, driving on a suspended license and you can go to jail for that. You can go to state prison for that. During part of the time I was writing the book, Brooke Bergen was in state prison for driving on a suspended license because she couldn't afford to pay her court debt. Um and and so this is the system doing everything it can to uh, punish people who live in poverty rather than using uh, limited taxpayer resources to try to improve folks' lives. I mean, the, the folks that are our neighbors and our kids and our aunts and our uncles and whoever they are who are in a city jail or a county jail or even a state prison – the system, in theory, is designed for those folks to come back to our community. Again, the, back to the Otis example. They are supposed to come back to our community after they sober up or whatever you know, their particular issue is. And if we make it harder for them to come back to our community, we actually reduce our overall level of public safety. Uh, and, and this is part of the problem that we have in, in America, a country that leads the world in mass incarceration – um, and that mass incarceration has not made us safer. Tony, can you hold on for like three minutes while we do a commercial break? When we come back, I want to tell our listeners more about where they can see you. And I have a question about judges. Are you available Absolutely. to hold on? Yep. Okay, great. The Jennifer and Wendy Show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever thought that if a relationship is good, it must take no work? Uh-uh, not true. Look at other people's relationships or even your your own. It takes work. Whether it's a relationship with your significant other, your parents, your children, your friends, your work friends, sometimes we all need a little help, and maybe that's therapy. Why not give BetterHelp a try? It is entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire online, and you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapists at any time if it's not a perfect match. I did this. I did switch therapists. You don't even have to tell the therapist. You just go online and say, no, not a perfect match. Please send me more profiles. Therapy is a great place to work through whatever challenges you face in your relationships. And it's not just for people who have experienced major trauma. It's for the rest of us as well. We're sometimes called the worried well. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com slash J-N-W today. You'll get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash J-N-W. 7 p.m. at the J, the Mirowitz Performing Arts Center, as part of St. Louis County Library's author events. Just go to slcl.org. Tony, one of the things you talk about in the book, and we often have this conversation in TV newsrooms when I worked there for decades, we need to know more about judges. And even when TV newsrooms had more resources, it didn't seem as though there was enough money to assign a reporter to each judge when they came up for reelection. What do we need to know about judges? 
Well, you know, I I have a, a a chapter in the book called Judges versus Judges, and and it looks at the different way in which we elect and or appoint judges in Missouri because there's a there's a difference. So, in in most of the most of the circuit judges, the local judges throughout Missouri are are elected, not in St. Louis and Kansas City, not in Springfield, and not on the appeals courts of the Supreme Court. Those those judges are selected through a merit system in which they apply, they're interviewed by a bipartisan commission, and then they send three finalists to the governor and the governor appoints them. It's supposed to reduce the amount of politics that's that's involved in those judges. And and looking at the cases uh, involved in 2019 in which the Supreme Court ruled, the Missouri Supreme Court ruled unanimously in 2019 – that what all of the circuit court judges in rural Missouri were, were were doing was wrong, was illegal. Now, why would there be such a difference? These judges all went to the same law schools. They, they went to the University of Missouri. They went to UMKC. They went to SLU. They went to WashU. They, they, they studied the law in the same way. They're, they're, they're smart men and women and, and officers of the court. Why did all the circuit court judges get it wrong when Matthew Mueller, the public defender that was filing all these cases, rural county by rural county, that eventually made their way to the Missouri Supreme Court? How did the Supreme Court get it so right saying, no, you can't put people in debtor's prison in Missouri, and all the circuit court judges got got it wrong? They're locally elected, and they stand for election at the same time as the prosecutor and the same time as the sheriff, and everybody's running on the same be tough on crime sort of, 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 of mentality, and, and they conflate putting people in jail because they're poor and they can't afford their fines and fees with being tough on crime, and it's the exact opposite. It actually ends up filling our jails with folks who don't belong there, increasing the pain in their life and and increasing the opportunities that they might have to commit crimes in the future. And it took the Supreme Court, where the judges are um, protected more from the vagaries of local politics, to just look at the law and say, no, you can't do this. This is wrong. Stop it. And and there's a value in understanding that having judges who have a separation from uh, the pressures of local politics improves the judiciary. To wrap it up, what changes have you seen since your book was first published in 2021? And again, the paperback version of Profit and Punishment comes out tomorrow. What changes have you seen, Tony? So one of the biggest things that's happened is the number of states that are getting rid of the law that allows states to suspend a driver's license for failure to pay court debt uh, has significantly changed. I don't know what the current number is, but it used to be more than half of the states had that law, and now it's less than half. Now Missouri is in the, the minority. Most of the states around us are changing that law so that you can't automatically suspend driver's licenses. It's 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 a really good – piece of low-hanging fruit that lawmakers are picking on. The other thing that's happening is there is now a nationwide movement called End Justice Fees, and it's got the ACLU on the left, 
and the Koch brothers on the right, and they're singing from the same hymnal, and they're saying they want legislators to stop using the courts as a backdoor tax collection system. Use the courts for public safety. Don't use the courts to collect money out of poor people. So there is a growing movement to change this. Um, and, you know, it's slow, but uh, there's progress. And so, you know, if, if everybody in America would buy my paperback tomorrow, we could solve this problem real quick. Well, and here's the other thing. What happens when newspapers no longer have the money to pay reporters like Tony Messenger? To You spent so much time traversing the state. I mean, many long days and somebody has to pay. And it's, the news business the is dwindling. It's one of the reasons, one, I'm grateful to have the support of the Post-Dispatch when I when I go off into rural Missouri. I've spent a lot of time in the last year in Warren County and Iron County looking at particular situations in those two counties that are near St. Louis, but, but you know, a little bit out in the rural hinterlands. And one of the reasons I do it is because there just isn't that much coverage in those areas anymore. And the folks there deserve uh, justice as much as the folks in St. Louis. Tony Messenger, thank you so much for joining us. You can see Tony Messenger this Thursday, February 29th, 7 p.m. at the Mirowitz Performing Arts Center at the JCC of St. Louis. He'll be talking about his book, Profit and Punishment. And for more information, this is part of the St. Louis County Library author events. Just go to their website, slcl.org. Tony, a pleasure and so admire your work. Thanks very much, Jennifer. Good to talk to you. Now, are you turning 65 or starting to think about Medicare? Three months before you turn 65, you'll begin to get all these brochures in the mail about the different health insurance plans you're entitled to through Medicare. And you might still be working and think, nah, I don't need it. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Ryan Raphael can help you make that decision. We call him the Medicare man. He's the owner of Senior Insurance Benefits, and he specializes in Medicare plans in St. Louis, Illinois, Georgia, Tennessee, and Iowa. I sat down with him a few years ago. He makes it so easy. Takes about an hour. He shows you all the insurance plans you're entitled to through Medicare, and he explains supplements, advantage plans, Part D, prescription plans. And then he'll compare it to the insurance that you get at work if you are still working and help you make the decision. If you don't go on it, no problem, but it's good to be informed. You can call the Medicare man at 314-368-6808 or visit Ryan Raphael online, medicaremanstl.com.